everyone, and welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. I am grateful to be here uh, with you today, excited about the fact that Christmas is eight days away. Are you ready? House is in order. Gifts are bought, wrapped under the tree. Everything's planned. It's all together, isn't it? Just eight more days. You just don't have anything to do but just coast and sit and wait for the day to happen. Mine, we know better, don't we? Well, today we're going to look at that familiar Christmas story that is found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew, chapter 1, and we're going to look at this Christmas story. Now, we're all familiar with it. The story of Christmas is recorded in Matthew and Luke and John. Uh, Mark, in his gospel, begins his gospel message with Jesus as an adult. Uh, John actually presents the birth of Christ in spiritual, in a spiritual sense. He doesn't talk about the actual birth in the physical realm, but he talks about the spiritual implications of that. And so it's in Matthew and Luke that we find the story of the birth of Christ. Matthew is writing his book, the book of Matthew, he's writing primarily to Jews. And so Matthew takes a very Jewish perspective in his writing. So when he writes, he's going to do so from the perspective of Joseph, from the perspective of the father. Uh, He's going to insert some Old Testament passages that Jews would have been familiar with to prove to them that Jesus was indeed the promised Messiah that had been prophesied of old. But even though Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus, he is the legal father of Jesus. And so Matthew is going to demonstrate that Jesus comes from the line of David as a result of the legal standing of his father, Joseph. Now, when you come to Luke's gospel, Luke actually writes primarily to Gentiles. He's not focused on Jews as much. And so that's why he writes from Mary's perspective. And so when you get a genealogy in the book of Luke, it is from Mary's side of the family. And what what Luke does is he wants to demonstrate that, that that bloodline can be traced so that that prophecy fulfilled in the person of Jesus, and he does that through Mary and her life. Well, today we're going to look at Matthew's uh, uh, passage uh, in chapter 1, his uh, version of that birth experience, and we look together at chapter 1, verse 18. So look with me, if you will, and let's read this together. Now, the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. And when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place 
Uh, all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by, uh, by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, there's Matthew's version of this incredible Christmas story. And I want to tell you, it is an incredible story, right? I mean, books have been written about the birth of Christ. Volumes of books have been written about the birth of Christ. Songs have been written about the birth of Christ. Plays have been written about the birth of Christ. Movies have been made about the birth of Christ. It is a wonderful story. And it's one that we read at Christmas time and we're excited about and we're all warm and fuzzy when we come together. But what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about the tough side of the story that sometimes we don't mention. There are three things that I want you to notice from the story before us. First of all, I want you to recognize with me that the Christmas story is hard to believe. This is a story that's hard to believe. I I mean, think about it. He begins by saying that Mary and Joseph were betrothed. We know, because we've heard the Christmas story so much, that, that the betrothal in the Jewish community and world at that time was kind of like being engaged, but not the same. It was much more binding. It was a legal binding agreement. In fact, when a couple were betrothed, they would have to get divorced to get out of that. But the betrothal period involved a diary. It involved parents and families, and they came together, and they would literally be betrothed, but they would not have sexual relationships with each other until after the betrothal period was over, which was a period of about one year. One of the reasons for the betrothal period was to determine at the end of that year that the woman was not pregnant. That was part of the reason that they had the betrothal, so that we would know that she was indeed pure. But what do we find in this story before us? Well, they were betrothed to be be married, and what does it say? And before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Well, we know from Luke's account that Mary, minding her own business, was approached by an angel. She probably was about 13 years old. She might have even been 12, maybe 12, 13, 14 years old when a, when, when a, a, a lady was, became old enough maturity-wise in that world to become a parent. You're old enough to get married. And so all of a sudden, as she comes into puberty, she's able to, uh, she's mature at 13, maybe 14 years old. The angel comes to her and says, Mary, you have found favor with God. That was an overwhelming moment. We know the story, and Mary was frightened as the angel was there. Don't be afraid, Mary. I bring you good news, and this is the good news. God has watched you. He's seen you. He knows your heart. He has selected you, and you're going to have a child. You're going to have a baby. I want to tell you, it was so incredible that even Mary found it hard to believe, right? What did Mary say? Do you remember? Well, wait a minute. How can this be? I know how it works. I know biology. 
I've not been with a man. And because I've not been with a man, I can't have a baby. You're telling me that I'm going to be pregnant, I'm going to have a baby, and I've never had an encounter with a man. That's impossible. That's hard to believe. And the angel said, but listen, what's impossible for you, Mary, is not impossible for God. God's the giver of life. Do you understand that every baby is a product of God's giving life? Only he can give life. And this is what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to be with child, and you're going to have a baby. And Mary said, man, that is hard to believe. But if that's what God wants to do, then okay. Then go ahead, whatever you say. And, and then, I love this, Mary did not ask for a sign. But the angel gave her one anyway. He says, and by the way, your cousin Elizabeth, who is an old woman, she is past childbearing years. She's been barren all her life. She was infertile, unable to have children. Now she's gone through menopause and hot flashes and all that stuff that goes with it. She's already gone through all that stuff. She is past childbearing years. And she is now pregnant. God has a work in her heart with Zachariah, her husband, and she's going to give birth to a child, and that child's going to be the one who goes before the baby that you're going to deliver, just according to Scripture. Well, and we know that story in Matthew chapter 1. Zachariah was the husband of Elizabeth, and, and he was in the temple serving, and God sent an angel to appear to him and said, Zachariah, you're going to be a dad. God's going to bless your wife Elizabeth with a child. Now that's hard to believe, right? And you remember what Zechariah said? I love this. This is how you know he's been married a long time. Because this is what Zechariah said. How can that be? I'm an old man. And my wife is advanced in years. Yeah, he knew better than saying, my wife's an old woman. No, he didn't say she's an old woman. He said, my wife is advanced in years. How is this possible? And, and what is the angels? What's impossible for you is not impossible for God. But I want to tell you something. It's hard to believe, but not as hard to believe what Mary was having to believe because the result of Zechariah and Elizabeth coming together in marriage gave to them a son named John. But Mary had never been with a man. Now turn the page to where we read a moment ago. Somehow Mary has to tell Joseph. Now we don't know how she told him. We don't know when she told him. We don't know where she was when she told him. But can you imagine that conversation? Mary sits down with Joseph and says, I've got to tell you something. This is pretty serious. I'm pregnant. Joseph, man, can you imagine all the blood leaves his head. He, he, he can't believe what he's hearing. This is the worst news he could ever, and, and this is the last person on earth he could ever fathom would do this. It's so out of character for Mary. She's a righteous woman. He knew that. God declared that. And, and, and so Joseph is sitting there saying, whoa, this is what? Jo Joseph, I got, I, you got to know, I'm pregnant. I'm going to have a child. But listen to me. I've never been with a man. This is of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph says, 
Mary, the only thing worse than you being unfaithful to me is you coming up with a story like that. You serious? That's your answer to what you, you listen, I, who's the, 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 I know I'm not the dad. Who's the dad? I'm telling you, Joseph, it was God. God did that. And I want to tell you something. This story was so hard for Joseph to believe that he didn't believe it. And he made up his mind and he said, you know what? I can't believe this has happened. I don't understand it. By rights, he could have actually had her killed. She could have been stoned to death according to Old Testament principles. There's a story in the Bible we'll look at in a minute where, where Jesus was confronting a woman who, who had committed adultery in the act, and they wanted to, they wanted to stone her to death. And, and he could have had her put to death. He could, have, he could have publicly shamed her, but because he loved her, this is what we read a moment ago, he chose to put her away secretly. I'm going to divorce her, and we're going to put it away secretly, and, and, and we're just going to go on the best we can with our life. And then that angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, don't be afraid, Joseph. What Mary said to you, though it's crazy, it's true. She is going to have a child, and it is not because she's been with another person. It's because God has chosen her. And you know what the angel does? He gives Joseph a sign too. And the sign he gives Joseph is a quote out of the Old Testament where he said to Joseph, it even says in the Old Testament that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a child. It's her, Joseph. Don't be afraid. You know what's amazing? As hard as that was to believe for Mary and as hard as it was to believe for Joseph, it's equally hard to believe for some of you that are here today. In fact, if we really tell the truth about it, some of you don't believe it. I mean, you believe Jesus lived and, and you believe that he died and, and you're a Christian. You have placed your, your faith and, and trust in Jesus. But that virgin birth thing, that's really, that's not that important. In fact, there are some theologians, I, I would say so-called theologians, but there are some theologians that say that you don't have to believe the virgin birth to be a Christian. You know what? I mean, when you prayed to receive Christ, there was nowhere in that prayer that you had to admit, oh, I believe the virgin birth in order to be saved. And as a result of that, many of us think, well, that's just one of those things that's not that important. And some theologians even say it's, it's a myth. It's a myth, maybe the result of a Roman soldier who came through the town where Mary lived, that was not uncommon for a Roman soldier to take advantage of a young girl in a situation like that. And, and you know what? It's okay. Don't fret. Don't worry if you don't believe that that happened. It's okay. You can be a Christian and not believe that. But what I want you to understand today that I believe this is, this, is, this is a critical truth. In fact, the Bible tells us, I told you that John's version of the birth of Christ is spiritual. John begins his book this way. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Now, when he uses that 
phrase, the Word, he's talking about Jesus. In the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he jumps down to verse 14, and this is what he says in verse 14, chapter 1. And the Word, talking about the, the Word that was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, who was in heaven, came to earth and put on human flesh, is what John says. And as we read through the, the Bible, the Bible tells us that this child is God in a human body. So here's the question. How can a child be the son of the most high God if he's the natural product of Joseph and Mary coming together? If Mary and Joseph had a normal relationship and Jesus is the result of it, or Mary had an encounter with a Roman soldier and the result of it that she would give birth to Jesus, you know what that means? It means Jesus is just like you. He has an earthly father and an earthly mother, and if he has an earthly father and an earthly mother, you know what that means? He's a sinner. <laughs> he needs a savior too. He can't save you any more than I can save you. I can't save you because I can't save myself. I'm a sinner separated from God. I need a Savior. And if Jesus is the product of Mary and Joseph, if he is the natural product of two human beings coming together, then he needs a Savior as well. Like you and me, he's a sinner. In John chapter 8, Jesus is on one occasion talking to the religious leaders and Pharisees and, and he makes this comment. He talks about himself and he says, he says this, beginning with verse 23, he says, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, what's really interesting in my Bible, in the New American Standard, it says, is Jesus is speaking, for unless you believe I am he. The word he is in italics. What that means is it's not in the original manuscript. They put it in there because it reads better. I think it should be left out altogether. This is what Jesus is saying. He is ultimately saying this, unless you believe I am do you remember when Moses went to the burning bush and he said, and God spoke to him and he said, when I go to Pharaoh and God says, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And he said, when I go to Pharaoh, they got a thousand gods in Egypt and he's going to ask me if I tell him God sent me, which God? And God says in that moment, you tell him I am sent you. And the name for God became I am. And Jesus uses that term here, I am. Therefore, he said to them, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. You will die in your sin. He even goes on, and in verse 56, he said, for your father Abraham rejoiced to see the day, and they saw it. And they said, you weren't alive when, when, when Abraham was alive. How in the world would Abraham see it? And Jesus said this, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. So Jesus said, I am God in the flesh. 
And the only way he can be God in the flesh is if he has an earthly mother and no earthly father. It is imperative that we understand. It is hard to believe, but I want you to understand, just because it's hard to believe doesn't mean it's not true. There's a whole lot of things in life that are hard to believe that are true. I have a hard time believing that I can turn on a switch in my house and a light comes on and the electricity that comes in there comes from somewhere out in West Texas. Because, you know, I signed up and a part of the electrical grid is these windmill things. How in the world do you get the electricity from one of those windmills through all those lines all the way back, all the way across into Fort Worth and it goes to a station and down underground and it comes all the way to the back and I just turn a switch. I don't understand it. It's hard to believe, but I'm not sitting in the dark. I'm going to switch the light on. There are a lot of things in life that are hard to believe, but that doesn't mean they're not true. This story is hard to believe, but it's true. The second thing that I want you to notice is this. Not only is it hard to believe, I think it's hard to receive. Um, Notice what happens in in the story, Matthew's version. God tells Joseph, he appears to him and an angel, verse 20, An angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child that she who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. It was the father's responsibility to name the child. And so the angel says to Joseph, when that child's born, you're going to name him Jesus. Hebrew, Yeshua. Joshua is the Hebrew name, meaning salvation, savior. Hebrew, Yeshua. In the Greek, it's Jesus. It is Jesus, savior. You will bear a son, and and you are to call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Now, there's, there's the hard part to receive. Did you catch it? because he will save the people from their sin. Do you know what that verse just did? That verse had the audacity to call you a sinner. That verse says, the reason Jesus came is because you're a sinner. Now, you know what? We live in a world that doesn't like to be called sinners. We just don't like that. I don't see myself as a sinner. I know I mess up. I know I make mistakes, but I'm not a sinner. I mean, a sinner, that's a word reserved for the worst of the worst. That's a word that that we reserve for for the Charles Manson people of the world. I'm I'm not that way. I'm I'm not perfect, but I'm not a sinner. That's the way it was in Jesus' day. You remember the religious leaders? What did they say of Jesus? They, They accused him of spending time with publicans, tax collectors, and sinners. Now, what were they saying? We're not sinners. They're sinners. We're good. We keep the law. We believe God. We pray. We go to church. We tithe. We do all those wonderful things. I'm not a sinner. But you know what the Bible says? Paul says it this way so that we don't miss it. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. I've told you a thousand times. 
And I'll tell you again, it's like that little boy in a Sunday school class, third grade, and the teacher says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Let's look at that verse and look at each one of the words and say, what does it mean? What does the word all mean? And the little boy said, all means all, and that's all all means. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It means you and I are a sinner. And you know what else the Bible says? That's offensive. We don't like being called a sinner. In fact, we don't like people telling us the things we do are sinful, right? There are things we do that the Bible says is wrong, is sin, and we don't want anybody pointing that out. So don't you tell me that's sinful. Don't you judge me. You can't, do, you can't sit in judgment and tell me. We, don't, we are offended when people call us sinful. You know why the Christmas story is hard to receive? Because it tells us that we are a sinner, and not only that, it tells us that we are helpless. It tells us that we're a sinner and we can't fix it. You can't go to church enough. You can't be baptized. You can't give enough money. You can't live a good enough life. There is not one single thing you can do to fix the problem of sin in your life. You are separated from God. You are helpless. And you know what that means? That means you're hopeless. That means there's nothing that can be done for you. The Bible says that you are not only a sinner, you are helpless and you are hopeless. And the scripture says and the wages of sin is death. You're going to die because you're a sinner and you're destined to spend eternity separated from God. It's the one time when a rock group got it right. ACDC used to sing, we're on a highway to hell. Remember that? And we are. Not just them. We're all on a highway to hell. And there's nothing we can do about it because we are sinners. But God loved us, even in our sin. And he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He came to fix the sin problem. And only he could fix it. And so he chose to come to earth to be fully man and fully God so that he could pay the penalty for your sin. He was born of a virgin. He didn't inherit a sin nature. So he wasn't a sinner. He never sinned. So he wasn't a sinner by choice or by nature. He lived a sinless life. And if the wages of sin is death, means that he's going to die. He didn't have to die because he wasn't a sinner. But he dies in our place to pay the sin debt that we owe so that we could have eternal life. That's the story. The final thing that I want you to notice with me today, though, is not only is this a story that is hard to believe and hard to receive, we're being honest about it. It's hard to conceive. Look at what he says next in that text. He you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Did you catch it? He didn't save us in our sin. He saves us from our sin. He didn't just come to us in our sin and say, I I'm going to save you and you can keep on living the way you're living. No, I'm going I'm I'm to get you out of that. I'm going to transform your life. I'm going to redeem you. You're going to be pulled up from that. You're going to be transformed. You, you will become a new creation. God will save us from 
our sin. He hates sin so much that he didn't want to leave us in it. You see, some of us think that that we can accept Jesus as our Savior and continue to do the things that we've always done. And I want to tell you something. If you continue to live the way you've always lived, maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your real Savior because he transforms our life. And he doesn't save us in our sin. He saves us from it. You remember a moment ago we talked about the fact that, that Joseph could have had Mary put to death the story of the, of, of the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery and she was brought before Jesus. And the men brought her together in the city and they had stones in their hands, a fun story. And they were trying to test him and trying to put him on the spot and using this woman to shame her and, 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 and abuse her in this situation to get back at Jesus. And they said, well, the law says that she, she has been found guilty of adultery. She should be stoned. What do you say? And, and we love this story because there's this little moment where there's this little phrase in the Bible that we don't understand. The Bible says in Jesus, Jesus stoops down and he writes in the sand and we don't have a clue what he wrote but everybody wonders what did he write in the sand did he write the name of the guy other guys who had been with her (laughs) did he write the name of guys who were also adulterers that were standing in the group what did he write i don't know what he wrote in the sand but he wrote in the sand and after he wrote in the sand for a few moments he stood back up and all of the accusers were gone. He said to them, hey, he who's without sin, throw down the first stone. You want to stone her to death? Go ahead. The, the guy that doesn't have any sin, you be the first one to throw a stone. He writes in the sand. And he raises it up in a few minutes and they're all gone. They drop the, you can hear the thug of the rock as it hits the ground as the guys begin to walk away. The woman caught in shame, crying with her head down. Jesus reaches to pick her up and he says to her, Where are those who condemn you? She says, there's none. And he said, neither do I condemn you. But do you remember the next part of what he said? Neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. Don't go back to what you were doing. Don't go back. I want to save you from that. I mean, God brought the nation of Israel from Egypt and bondage and slavery and brought them into the promised land. And he does that through the blood of the lamb. And he brings us from the bondage of sin into a life of freedom and a new beginning as we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. When we come to Jesus, we don't continue to sin. Now, it doesn't mean that we're perfect and we're without sin, but I will tell you this. Once we come to Jesus and he becomes our Savior, we can't ever sin again and like it. It bothers us. Suddenly we have a conviction in our heart and the Holy Spirit tugs at us. and we I mean, things that we used to do that we didn't have any problem with. All of a sudden, now that I've met Christ, things change. Something changes on the inside, and, and, and my perspective changes, and my attitude changes, and then my actions begin to change. 
If you come to Christ and there's no change, maybe you've not come to Christ. Paul says, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I want to tell you something. This is hard to believe. This story is hard to believe. But just because it's hard to believe doesn't mean it's not true. This story is hard to receive. (laughs) Because the only reason Jesus came is because I, me, I'm a sinner. And I need a savior. And it's hard to conceive that God can give me today an opportunity to start all over again. That he can wipe the slate clean. He can forgive me and restore me and empower me to live as he's called me to live. That is the story of Christmas. Do you believe it? Do you receive it? Will you allow him to give you a new beginning and a fresh start? Well, you have an opportunity today. If you're here and have never accepted Jesus as your savior, today's the day to do that. Maybe you're here and you believe every part of the story, but you can't get your mind wrapped around the virgin birth. I want to tell you something. If you can't believe that Jesus came and put on human flesh, well, then you're trusting in somebody just like you. And we know where that'll lead. But today we give you an opportunity to place your trust in him, to turn from your sin and say, God, I want you to deliver me from this. Man, the life I've lived doesn't got me anything. I want out of that. And I can turn to him and he will deliver us and transform us into his kingdom and light. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message you've given us today, the opportunity to respond. There are people in this room that never really thought about this story in that way. But they're here today and they... Well, maybe they sense the nudge of your Holy Spirit right now to recognize that that they need to accept you as Savior and Lord. That you came and lived because they are sinners and you offer them forgiveness through faith in Jesus. Thank you for loving us that way. And Father, for any that are here that are not sure where they will spend eternity, I pray that today is the day that they settle that issue. And for others, Father, that that are walking with you but have lost sight of all that that means, I pray that today would be the day we renew our commitment to you. In Jesus' name, amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry, send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. 
financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.